Jonah chapter 3 and 4. I'm going to read both those chapters, okay? So I know a lot of times we stand in this service um, uh, when, when we read the Word of God, and you're sure welcome to do that. But if you got weak knees, I'm reading two chapters, okay? And uh, so uh, I don't want you passing out on me. But anyway, if you'd like to stand, you can. And uh, I'm going to read all of chapter 3, all of chapter 4 in the book of Jonah, okay? Here we go. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. And Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. And they called for a fast, and they put on sackcloth, and from the greatest of them to the least of them. And the word of the Lord reached the king of Nineveh. He arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation, and published it throughout Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. It's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat the east of the city and made a booth for himself. And there he sat under it in the shade till he would see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and it made it, made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? He said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. It's funny, isn't it? <laughs> and the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, you did not make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in the night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who don't know their right hand from their left? and also much cattle. Father, I thank you for your heart. God, thank you that you are gracious and merciful, that you're compassionate and slow to anger. Thank you, Lord, that you, you, you forgive easily. 
God, I thank you for your character. God, if you were not that way, we would be in hell. God, I pray that you would give us the same heart, the same heart for the nations, the same heart for our neighbors, the same heart for our family. Father, we ask that you would send us. In Jesus' name, amen. You can see, be seated. All right, a little bit of a review. So chapters one and two, in case you weren't here last week, or honestly, sometimes last week seems like years ago, doesn't it? So maybe you can't even remember what we did last week, but let me just give you a little bit of review in case you don't know the story of Jonah well. Jonah's a prophet in Israel, okay? Nineveh is an Assyrian city. The Assyrians are kind of the up-and-coming uh, country at this time. They're, they're brutally taking over everybody, and Nineveh is the largest, most principal city in Assyria, Okay? Uh, actually, in a, in a few decades from, from the book of Jonah, uh, may, maybe some, some people say as long as a century, depending on when it was written, uh, Assyria would actually take over the northern kingdom of Israel, okay? And, and so Jonah is called by God to go to Nineveh and warn them that they have 40 days before they are annihilated by the wrath of God. Now, if you remember last week, we talked about how whenever God talks about judgment, whenever he talks about hell, Maybe he talks about uh, the lake of fire, you know, all those things in the Bible that actually a lot of people kind of shy away from. That is a mercy of God. Like, like him, him sending Jonah to call out to them and tell them judgment is coming. That, that's, not, that's not God like rubbing it in. That is God offering an opportunity to repent. And Jonah knows that, okay? That's why he didn't want to do it, right? And, and so, so God is basically sending a prophet to call out judgment upon the city and the possibility that they might repent. All right, Jonah does not want to do it. So what's he do? Well, God tells Jonah to go east, and so what does Jonah do? He goes west, okay? Uh, Nineveh is east, and so Jonah gets on a boat, and he heads to the furthest place away from the mission of God that he can possibly get to. Essentially, Jonah says no to the mission, okay? He does not have God's heart. That's why he says no to the mission, because he doesn't have God's heart. God pursues him with a storm. Okay, you're going to see in the book of Jonah, God pursues Jonah through all kinds of affliction. Sometimes it's a worm-eating plant. Sometimes it's a scorching east wind. Sometimes it's a storm. Sometimes it's the belly of a fish, right? Um, God pursues Jonah uh, with a storm. He's thrown overboard. He's headed to a certain death. He, he deserves to die because of his rebellion. He's a goner. And in the final seconds of his life, God appoints a great fish to rescue him, to swallow him, to rescue him from death. And in the belly of the fish, Jonah gets a little perspective. I don't know if you guys have ever been inside of the belly of a fish, but it does give you perspective, okay? He gets a little perspective. He decides, you know what? Maybe I've been in the wrong here. And uh, I certainly thank God for saving me from death. And he praises God and he thanks God and he commits to obey. He's experienced this incredible grace, right? Being delivered from death, okay? He pledges to obey. Now, the big question we left with last week was, but will he have God's heart? That's what we're gonna see today, right? Will he have God's heart? So he pledges to obey, but will he have God's heart? And so the end of chapter two, verse 10, the last verse that we looked at before we broke last week was uh, the Lord spoke to a great fish and he vomits Jonah out upon the dry land. Now, reset, okay, here we go. Chapter three, verse one, it's almost like starting over, okay? It's almost Groundhog Day for Jonah. What happens? He's on dry land, gets toweled off a little bit, hopefully a lot. I don't know if there was a shower there, a beach house, something, we hope, okay? Uh, but the call of God comes to him again. Chapter 3, verse 1. 
Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, call out against it, the message that I tell you. Does that sound familiar to anybody? That is the exact call he received in chapter 1. One of the things I want you to realize about Jonah's rebellion, and, and it applies to your rebellion, is it accomplished absolutely nothing. Okay, nothing but misery, I guess you could say. All right, his disobedience only brought him misery. He's right back at the same spot with the same call upon his life. A lot of times, I think we have this idea that somehow sin, I know, I know people do. I talked to a guy this week that his idea in his mind that somehow sin was going to bring him joy, satisfaction, life. It will not. It only brings misery. Misery and some sailors with PTSD, some merchants who lost all their goods, and Jonah has to have a horrific fish smell, okay? Those were the products of his rebellion. I mean, you had to be able to, hey, you went fishing and got it on your hands before, right? Imagine being inside there for three days. This dude, you can smell him coming from a football field away at least, okay? Those were, that's the fruit of his rebellion, Okay, listen, sin will not bring blessing. Sin will only bring misery. Now, did you notice that God's, God's mission hadn't changed? And by the way, it's not going to change, okay? God's mission is to take the gospel to the nations. God's mission is to take the gospel to every tongue, tribe, nation, the poor, the refugee, the orphan, the marginalized, people you don't like, people that are not like you, not like us. The mission will not change. The question for us today is will we get God's heart for the mission? That is the question. And to encourage you, please understand, I think we see this from Jonah, the mission of God is not life-stealing, it is life-giving. I, I, I really think a lot of people, when they think of, they think of salvation and God's mission separately, right? They think of salvation like, okay, uh, forgiveness of my sins, the righteousness of Jesus, the filling of the Holy Spirit, and eternity in heaven. You know, being able to, to, like we preached at the funeral yesterday, being able to have this rock-solid assurance of what is beyond death for you. And we're like, yes, I want all of that. And then somehow when it comes to the mission, people get squeamish. They're like, kids camp? You're telling me live in a dormitory with fourth, fifth, and sixth grade boys for three days? Pastor Andrew and I got the great privilege of cleaning the bathrooms late Wednesday night. There were science experiments that could have been done, okay? I don't know how those boys did what they did, but it was bad. And you're like, that's life stealing, Pat. I don't want any part of that. Man, team kid, man, busman's Christian Academy, going to India, uh-uh. No, 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 no. That interferes with my Amazon Prime night. That interferes with my lazy boy. Please understand, the mission is not life-stealing. It is life-giving. There's a great verse in Philemon. I don't know if you've read the little bitty tiny book of Philemon tucked right in the end of Paul's epistles. Okay, those, those who are at kids' camp, they know what Paul's epistles are. We, we, we talked about that we, uh, in Bible drill, which I love. Philemon, verse 6, there's only one chapter. Verse 6 says, And I pray that the sharing of your faith, hear this? The sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that's in us for the sake of Christ. Isn't that beautiful? The sharing of your faith becomes effective 
for knowing a full knowledge of every good thing that's in Christ. See, the message is life-giving. The, the sharing of the gospel, the ministering to people is life-giving. One, one of my favorite verses for melancholy people is in Isaiah 58. Melancholy people, people with depression, people that are, are bummed out, they always want to pull back. They always want to pull away from Sunday school, pull away from small groups, pull away from the mission of God, pull away from, from, from ministering to hard, difficult people. I think that's the wrong decision. Isaiah 58.10 says this. If you pour yourself out for the hungry, okay, if you, if, you know, if you know people that are hungry, they've got problems, right? They, they, that's why they're hungry. They've got problems and issues and struggles and, and their life's been devastated, okay? If you pour yourself out for those people, if you satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. You shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. The mission is life-giving. My friends, if you are a believer, God has more for you than eight to five watching Netflix, paying bills, and taking care of your lawn. God has more for you. He, he, he saved you. He justified you. He redeemed you. He brought you into his family and his kingdom for more than that. More than that. I know that's a part of all of our lives, but he, he made you for his mission. He made you for the gospel. And God is relentless about that mission. And so back here in chapter three, we're right. We're where we started. Arise, Jonah, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. Okay, now, a little bit of tension. What's he going to do? Is he going to head for the boat? Is he going to head for the cruise option again? No, okay? I think he's learned that that did not work. Verse 3, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days' journey bread. Jonah began to go into the city a day's journey and to call out yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. All right, Jonah is obedient, okay? But let me ask you a question. Does obedience necessarily indicate that your heart is right? I think you know the answer to that, right? Um, it, it, it is possible to have outward obedience without a heart of faith. It is possible to gather, for instance, with the people of God and not really cherish and worship God. It's possible to be charitable towards someone and not really love that person. It's possible, parents, it's possible for children to outwardly obey you, not inwardly, though, right? I cannot remember where the story comes in. I, I, I've I've been waiting to see my wife. By the way, we've been married 29 years. I was in the bathroom. My contract says I get one bathroom break uh, for the day, and I happen to take it during the anniversaries. That's when I came in. But I stood by myself uh, during the 830 service. And so go ahead and stand up. Let's stand together, honey. There we go. 29 years. Honey, I can't remember if this is one of our kids or if it was another kid, okay? But, but here's the story, okay? Uh, and and I, I, just, I just have this story in my mind, but uh, I, I think it may have been somebody else's kid, because I, I don't know. Anyway, um, the kid, they were, parent was saying, sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down. And the kid was not wanting to sit down, finally had a little discipline. Then finally the kid sat down, and, and arms crossed, pouty face, 
And, and the parent was like, good job. Thank you for sitting. And the kid says, I'm not sitting on the inside, okay? <laughs> was that one of our kids? That I think it was somebody else. I think somebody told me that story. Uh, but I'm not sitting on the inside, okay? All right, so Jonah is obeying on the outside. Well, he's not obeying on the inside, okay? You see, it's, it's possible to not be obedient on the inside, even if you're doing the right thing on the outside. And did you notice that Jonah is no Billy Graham, okay? You know, if, if kids at kids camp, we did this Bible drill deal, right? We know, we know the prophetic books. If you look at the prophetic books, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, you know, Hosea, uh, Micah, uh, Nahum, uh, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, you know, all, all the prophetic books, they're full of these messages, sermons. I mean, that's mainly what they are, you know? And, and in those sermons, there's woes and there's, there's blessings and there's curses and there's promises and there's vivid illustrations. A lot of times the prophets use props. They, they, they were really interested. They, they would use props in their sermons, all right? Jonah is an absolute exception to that. In the entire book of Jonah, let me read you his sermon, Okay? Here's what we got. Ready? Here it is. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Eight words, okay? I know some of you are wanting that. You ain't going to get it, okay? Eight-word sermon, all right? An eight-word sermon. It's almost like Jonah is doing the bare minimum, okay? Like he's like, okay, if I've got to go do this, I don't want the whale again. If I've got to go do this, then I, I'm going to say just no more than what God told me to say. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. It says that Nineveh was a three-day journey to get through it, to walk through it. So he's planning on preaching for three days. It says very clearly here that on the first day, on the first day of an eight-word sermon, a city comes to its knees, all right? If there were ever a a, a, a example in the scripture that, that the power of God doesn't come through the preacher. It comes through the word. It's Jonah, all right? You got a guy here whose heart isn't in it. He doesn't even want to speak his message. It's an eight-word sermon. He preaches it in one day, and an entire city comes to revival, comes to an awakening. The power is in the word. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11, it says, And so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and it shall succeed in the thing in which I sent it. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says this of the word of God. The word of God is living. It's living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Jonah preaches a message of coming judgment. And verse 5 says, the people believed God. They, they believed God. I love it. It doesn't say they believed Jonah. It says they believed God. They responded in faith to God, and then they repented. And, and church, look at their repentance. This, this is beautiful, okay? Verse 5 says, the people of Nineveh believed God, and they called for a fast, and they put on sackcloth. They, they took off their, their regular clothes, and they put on the scratchy, you know, burlap kind of material, uh, gunny sack looking. That's what I think of sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And the word reads, the king, even the king, he takes off his royal robe. He gets off of his throne. He covers himself in sackcloth. He sits in ashes. He, he issues a proclamation and publishes it throughout all Nineveh that neither man nor beast, herd or flock, they're not to eat 
They're not to drink. They're all to call out mightily upon God and to turn from their wickedness, from the evil of their hands. They're to change their deeds that perhaps God might turn back his wrath. That's repentance. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the mayor of New York City getting, getting on the television and he's got, he's got his suit off and he's got a gunny sack on and he's got ashes on his head and he pleads with New Yorkers to immediately fast and drop to their knees and turn from their wicked ways and stop their sinning or God's gonna judge them. Can you imagine that happening? That's what happens in Jonah in this the, the greatest city in the world of his time and God turns it to his knees. I love that God can do that. Man, what hope is there in that? This wicked, violent, idolatrous, godless city hears the word of God and there is a revival never, never seen before. Maybe since, I don't know. Ephesians 3, 20 says this. Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Do you believe that? you believe that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we could ask or imagine? America looks pretty bleak right now. Like things look bad. Like the spiritual, moral heart of our nation seems to be crumbling. Man, it's encouraging to me to see that my God has this power. I don't, I don't know that he'll do it. I, I, I pray he does. I pray for an awakening. We met at 7 this morning. Some guys, we prayed for an awakening in our country. But one thing's clear. God can bring cities to their knees in repentance. And he can do it through a lackluster prophet that doesn't have it in his heart to do it. The word of God is powerful to change. Man, that I'd encourage you. I would encourage you with your family, your children, your neighbor, your enemies, the person that disagrees with you. This is the power of God to transform. You should have confidence in God. Well, verse 10, God sees it, right? God sees what they did. He sees their repentance. He sees their, their belief. They're believing him. And it says God relented of the disaster. God pulled back. We don't know how many days had transpired since, since Jonah got the, the message. But he pulls back. And, and he, do, he, does not, he does not bring his wrath upon Nineveh. Now, how's Jonah doing? Let's check back in with him. Chapter 4, verse 1. He is furious. Verse 1, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, okay? He's angry, all right? And he prays to the Lord, and he says, God, isn't this exactly what I thought would happen, all right? This is exactly what, what Jonah thought would happen. That's why he didn't want to go. He, it wasn't that he was afraid. A lot of people, when they first read the book of Jonah, they think he's afraid to go to Nineveh because they're, no, he's not afraid to go because they're terrible people. He's afraid he'll succeed. How about that? That's why, that's why he didn't want to go. He's afraid that the word of God would, 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 would do what he thought that it would do. One thing about Jonah, he believes in the character of God at maybe a higher level than a lot of us do. 
Look what he says in verse 2. He says, God, this, this is why I didn't want to go, because this is what I know about you. I know you're a gracious God. You're merciful. You're slow to anger. You're abounding in steadfast love. You're relenting from disaster, and it makes me mad, all right? God, you're gracious and merciful and kind and compassionate, and you're quick to forgive, and you're slow to anger. No, I knew it. I knew, I knew you would, I knew you would forgive these people that I want you to kill. That's exactly what Jonah says. You know, I think there are people that would never say this, but I think there are people that feel this. Okay, now follow me. Listen, I've met people that they're just not going to forgive. Like, I ain't forgiven. Like that, that person did that to me. They are my enemy. I want the wrath of God upon them, and I am not going to forgive. I do not want God to change their heart. I do not want them to be saved. I want wrath. I want judgment on them. Listen, that's the heart of Jonah. Jonah says, God, I know you're compassionate, and you're gracious, and you're merciful and you're bound in steadfast love and you're quick to forgive here's what a lot of people do and I want that for me but I don't want it for them guys that that's not a good heart you know what's kind of weird is that most Americans that I talk to they they have a problem with God because they think he's too he's too wrath or he's too judgment have you ever witnessed anybody and they're like yeah i've read the old testament there's all that judgment and wrath going on and I, I don't want anything to do with that god jonah's the other way he's like god you're too nice you're, you're too gracious but but again to uh, to others not to me God asked a great, great question in uh, 3 and 4 there. He says, therefore now, Lord, Jonah says, please take my life. Jonah's a little dramatic. I don't know if you noticed this, but he's, he's always, every time anything makes him mad, he's like, just kill me. I'm just done. Just take my life. Verse 4, great question. Lord says, do you do well to be angry? Man, put that one away, okay? If you got a memory verse, that, that, that'd be a good one, you know? And right as, as you're in the middle of your, your tantrum, go to Jonah 4.4 and just ask yourself, let God ask you that question. Hey, should you be angry about this, Jonah? Should you be angry about this? Do you, do you do well to be angry? It's a great question. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna answer it here, okay? So Jonah leaves the city. Citywide revival breaking out, okay? What's the prophet do? <laughs> he leaves. Okay, he leaves and he goes east of the city. I kind of picture him on a hill. I don't know if it was a hill or it doesn't say that, but I kind of picture him on a hill, you know, just so he could see the city. And, and he's going to wait and he's going to wait and see what's happened, see, see what happens. You know, well, what does he want? He, he want? He's hoping that they'll change and the city will still be destroyed and he'll get a watch, okay? And so he goes out to watch here, all right? And he builds himself a little shelter. And, and then God, again, Gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting. What does God do? God makes this plant grow up super fast, covers his shelter. It's a desert sun. 
provides this refreshing shade for Jonah. And oh my, my, look here, guys. Look here. This is really cool. Jonah is exceedingly glad. Okay, look, look at verse six. You, you don't miss it because it's the only time it's gonna happen, okay? He, this guy's finally happy about something, all right? It says that God, God brought this plant to be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort, and Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. This guy is happy, finally, ecstatically happy over the plant. And then God appoints a worm. When you read the whole thing, like in one setting, you get, to, you get to pick up on these things. God appoints a worm, a wind, a storm, a fish to swallow, a fish to vomit, a scorching. You know, God's appointing all these you know, things to happen, okay? So God, God appoints this worm, and this worm eats the plant, kills the plant. And the plant withers and dies, and then God appoints this Oklahoma wind, August wind, scorching, it says, scorching, blazing hot wind. Sun is coming down on him. He loses his comfort again, and Jonah is, verse 9, angry. He's angry. Once again, what does he say? At the end of verse 8, it's better for me to die than live, okay? The plant got killed, and so now he's ready to die again. It's amazing how quickly our comforts can be taken away. It's amazing how Jonah goes from exceedingly happy to furious and wanting to die again. Why? All because his comfort got taken away. Why why is Jonah so mad at this point in the story? Is he a plant lover? Is it one of those deals where, you know, he just really loves plants and he gets attached to them and they grow and he names them, you know, and then whenever they die, he has an emotional, you know, and no, that's not it. What, what, why, why is he angry? Because his comfort got taken away. He lost his shade. You know, I think it's a great question to ask yourself, what are the things that you get angry about? So, like, if you just put them in categories, you know, if you just take all your anger in the last year, you know, what, what, what would, would, would those fit into categories? I wonder if a lot of them would be in this category. Like, I'm angry because something that I liked that made me comfortable is not there. I'm angry because my comfort got taken away. My me time got taken away. My entertainment budget got taken away. My clean house got taken away. My, the security of my 401k got taken away. It, it, it says a lot about our hearts, I guess, is another way to put it. And what gets you worked up? Jonah's worked up here several times, but most recently, he's furious about his shade dying. What gets you worked up? I think a lot of people are worked up about their shade, and yet they don't have compassion on the at-risk kids in our neighborhood. They're not the least bit stirred up over 700,000 human trafficking victims each year. Their blood doesn't boil. It doesn't even simmer over 400,000 kids in the foster care system in the United States. They're not bothered enough to join us in prayer during Ramadan for 2 billion Muslims who are at this moment perishing into an eternal hell without Jesus. What makes you angry? So verse 9, Jonah, do you do well to be angry over the plant? Jonah says, you bet I am 
I do well. You bet I have the right to be angry. He says, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. This is him talking back to God. Yeah, I deserve to be comfortable. My comfort got taken away, and I'm furious about it. Now, here's the lesson. Here's the lesson. Verse 10, God speaking to Jonah again. Jonah, you pity the plant. You're, you're cranked up about your shade that you did not labor for. You did not make it grow. It came about in a night, and it perished in a night. Jonah, you didn't deserve that comfort. It was given to you. It was temporary and transient, fleeting. And then here's the punch. You ready? Verse 11. God says, should I not pity Nineveh? The great city, more than 120,000 souls who don't know their right hand from their left. That could mean children. Or it could just mean people that don't know anything about the truth of God. And also much cattle. And then the book just ends. Maybe my favorite thing. It just ends. Like we, we don't know how he responded. Like did he get it? Did, did conviction set in? What, was he able to say, oh God, man, I've been so selfish. And I, all I care about is my own comfort. And I've had just this angry, bitter heart against my enemies, and I don't have your heart at all, and God, I'm sorry. God, I I repent. Man, there's no blessing. This is just misery for me. God, I don't want to stay on this hill angry forever. I'm going down, and he goes down into the city and builds this. I, I, I don't know. It just ends. It just ends. Or did he cross his arms? Did he ball up his fist? And did he stay up there angry? I think it's cool that it doesn't end because I think the real question is not what did Jonah do? I think the real question is what are you going to do? Isn't that the real question? I think the real question is how are you going to end? Are, are you, are you going to be one of those people that say, God, I want your grace. God, I want your grace. I want your rescue. I want you to rescue me. God, I'm glad you're abounding in steadfast love. I'm glad you're quick to forgive me. I'm glad you're gracious to me. I'm glad you're merciful to me. I'm glad you're compassionate to me. And God, in fact, I think I deserve a bunch of comfort as well. But I'm, I'm not going to be a part of a mission. I'm not going to put myself out for anybody else. In fact, I got a lot of people, I just soon they go to hell. Is that the way you're going to end? Or are you going to grab onto God's heart? Are, are you going to realize that there's, there's no joy in that track? Are you going to grab onto God's heart and you say, God, I see how you are. And God, I, I don't deserve anything. But you've given me much grace, compassion, mercy. You've been slow to anger with me. You've been so patient with me. God, I receive that. God, send me out. Send me. 
God, what, what ministry you want me to do? What, how can I be a part of your mission? God, I believe the joy is in that. God, send me out. We don't know how Jonah ends. And, and you are going to know how you end, right? Let's ask God for help. Father, I, I pray, God, that you would, God, just put it in us, God, to, to rejoice in who you are. God, you are gracious, you are merciful, you're compassionate, you're slow to anger, you're abounding in steadfast love. God, you're quick to forgive. And God, we love that. God, we love that. God, we rejoice in that. Lord, if it were not for that, we'd perish. And God, I pray that you would give us your heart, God, for the nations. Give us your heart for our enemies, God. Lord, I pray that we would not hold on to our anger. I pray that we would not, we would not be fuming with anger over, over the wrong things. God, I pray that you'd help us be angry over the right things. God, help us to, to want, to be stirred up, to want people to know who you are, even our enemies. Father, give us that heart. In Jesus' name.